Hey everyone, this is your host, Gons, and welcome to another episode of Startup Conversations, View from the CTO, a collaboration between Table and CircleCI, where we sit down with some of the greatest CTOs in Europe to deconstruct how to build and operate high-performing technology teams. My guest today is Chico Charlesworth. Chico is a tech entrepreneur and full-stack developer based in Dublin, Ireland. He's the founder of Code and Robots, an open-source mobile app robotics kit, and the CTO of Bridge, a platform that helps people all around the world own, build, and help their personal networks. Before this, Chico was the CTO at Usegate and a senior Node.js developer at Nearfor, the global software consultancy firm. Chico, in other words, is an extremely experienced software engineer and leader and a great guest to have on the podcast. In today's episode, we talk about absolutely everything. How Chico balances his roles as leader and IC on a daily basis. Spoiler, <laughs> it involves making lots of lists, common mistakes CTOs should avoid when onboarding new employees, the ins and outs of being the CTO of a small startup, why making the right decision is more important than being right, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Chico, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? Good. Thank you, Gans. Really happy to be here and uh, excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited as well. So just to sort of get uh, warmed up, let's start with what's the two-minute version of, of Chico. Let's give the audience some context. Okay, well, I'm I'm 42. I live in Dublin, Ireland. I actually, I'm English, but I grew up in Portugal. I have two kids, one dog. And yeah, since since the age eight, I was coding on my Spectrum ZX and uh, where I hacked the game Snake to jump levels. And since then, that's what I've been doing, playing with computers and trying to now currently work in, in cool startups. Uh, walk me through or break that cool startups for me. Walk me through what you've been doing for the past few years. So from the beginning of my, my kind of engineering career, I started a, a big company, Software AG, IBM, BBC. And since then, I kind of felt this uh, need to go further down the, the kind of path of finding the right group of people to work with. And normally that's a smaller group and that's where startups, startups felt more like the right environment for me and and working working with startups and getting to a place where I can hopefully become part of a, a successful startup and a few stops like start and, and stops and eventually getting to to working here bridge so you you, you are currently the, the CTO at bridge so what I'm very curious is you, you worked at larger companies then went into startups, now the CTO at Bridge. I'm curious, how do you see the role of the CTO at small startups? And then how does, do you think it changes over time as a, com as a company grows? Great question. So I, I don't know if I got the perfect answer, but my from my perspective or my experience, I've always, for the startups I've worked with, I've always taken kind of a lead role in terms of the, the technical side. Um, but generally that would be more on the engineering side of things on building the solution and, and getting the, the right technology in and delivering on that for, for, the, for the end user. 
and more and more so I, I become interested in going the next step and for me like for the CTO that there's a balance really especially for a first time CTO like myself and where where we're at at the moment at the startup I'm working with it's very much a balance of like leadership management and, and still doing engineering when 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 needed so it's it's less about you know when I'd like to to code which is quite often but unfortunately I don't always get that opportunity it's more about building the right team and building the right structure from an engineering perspective but also playing nice with with other teams like the product teams and QA teams and design teams and making that making that work and and we're a fully remote team so that that extra challenge as well of setting up the right environment where everyone is happy yet productive so for a CTO like myself you know I still got a lot to learn but from the experience I've had in the last uh, 18 months and 18 months to, to two years it's really been a roller coaster of just trying to build a team and and learn how to you know get the best of everyone but but also create that that environment where everyone contributes and, and helps each other out because as a startup you, you generally have to uh, wear many hats and that includes the CTO obviously I'm not sure if it's a perfect answer but it's a great answer so, so thank <laughs> you for that we're going to double click on a bunch of those topics in a second, but I want to, I'm going to sort of spend a few minutes on something that's, that's very interesting and very hard to do, which is context switching, right? From coding to uh, building a team, to managing a team, to talking with different stakeholders. How do you manage that context switching in your day-to-day -day life? Which is, it's, it's often a challenge with leadership positions at early stage startups where you still have to do both, right? Be a leader, but also be an IC. Yeah, I think it really depends what works for you. My, my kind of got a lot of, my experience is in context switching a lot, to be fair, learning new languages, learning new technologies, even when you're coding like you're bug fixing or you're implementing something new or you're trying to figure out, you know, how to increase performance. So even within that context, there's, there's a lot going on. And I kind of generally thrive in that environment, actually. It, it can lead to kind of obviously burnout and, and lack of focus and productivity. So you do have to be careful of that. But generally, I quite like it. It keeps things fresh. Um, the one thing that you do need to uh, do is, is try and focus and learn how to execute with the right speed almost and that's not always easy and for me what works really well for me is not to have too much in my head at any, any given time because that way I just lose track so what I end up doing is putting everything down into lists and, and at the moment that before it, it could be any kind of tool but at the moment I use Notion and I have my personal list or if it's around engineering around the team then we we have you know issue issue tracking systems and and uh, trackers and all that kind of stuff to keep tab of all that stuff and monitoring and, and whatever else so as long as it's outside of my head I can kind of deal with it but it does lead to you know me spending evenings sometimes when I need a bit of quiet time to focus on one specific thing or, or potentially weekends, especially if, if I kind of got a, like something I want to work on that I just haven't had time to even look at over the, over the week. And then I might spend a bit of time just trying to, to look into that. It might be my personal interest or something that, 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 I, that I want to get into. And, and the same applies to the rest of the team, I, I think. But 
what's interesting is you do have some people that really struggle with context switching and that's absolutely fine you just have to be aware of that and and try and not overwhelm them with with too much stuff and just let them do what they're good at as well so it just really depends on the on the personality um of of the person yeah absolutely absolutely it's it's about identifying how the people in your team thrive and helping create that environment which are your 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 words I'm curious, how, how do you structure your, your days to manage sort of this multiple responsibilities? What's your routine like? Yeah, I don't I don't uh, normally have like a day-to-day stuff. I normally reserve, say, I normally reserve Fridays to kind of have more, a, if possible, a chilled out day where I can do some engineering. We we kind of, I spread my, my workload across the week or even sometimes a couple of weeks where certain meetings are alternate between weeks and I just normally find the right pockets of time so you know I would have engineering syncs generally during the morning and then I would if needed help with deployments and stuff like that code reviews and once that's kind of done I would then generally sync with the design team the product team and generally any firefighting. Normally, if there's any of that, then that normally comes first, which was the case today where, you know, everything else kind of goes out the window and you just have to figure that out first. So yeah, being flexible in nature, but trying to really focus on what's in the pipeline to be done and what, what what's going to happen next as well. Like what's ahead of time, what's, what's need, what needs to be done and trying to fit that in. And again, listening to the team if there's any pains or blockers and, and stuff like that uh, i'm obviously very conscious of that stuff and try and have a quick turnaround if possible so i don't know if that really answers your question it sounds probably quite chaotic and maybe it is but in my head it's it's <laughs> somewhat streamlined it can always be better but <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely you mentioned this this word which is a uh, firefighter we as leaders we all spend a bunch of time firefighting so I'm, I'm curious how do you balance that sort of the immediate problem solving the short-term sort of emergencies versus the long-term work yeah so it's a great question it depends on severity and and prioritize prioritizing that and planning ahead i suppose if you know you've got a, a deadline you need to address and then you try and allocate your time and probably the, the the rest of the team their time to focus on that area. So what we what we end up doing quite often is is to put a goal in front of us, a deadline, even if it's an artificial kind of pressure, but that will get the best out of us and, and give us the, the right focus, which I'm not sure is firefighting, but in terms of that. Now, if there's a, a deployment issue or a customer issue or, or anything like that, and then you know, again, we would prioritize that and get the right person to look at that. That's not always me. I'd always try and delegate where possible as well. But end of the day, it's my responsibility to make sure those issues get resolved, at least from an engineering perspective. And so luckily, we have a, a great team where that responsibility is, is, you know, shared. And especially around the senior engineers, everyone everyone has the, uh, the freedom to help. <laughs> <laughs> on those on those issues uh, I, I i love that that phrase the freedom to help i might steal it <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's pretty 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 cool that's been uh super insightful i want to go back to sort of your, your first response 
And I want to double click on this idea of, of building a team, especially in, you, you said you're a remote company, like most companies are right now. So, yeah. so the question is, how, how do you think about recruiting and retaining the right talents in a world that essentially COVID made the talent markets remote, right? You're not competing with people in, in Dublin, right? With companies in Dublin, I mean, you're competing with companies like Spotify, who just said they're going to pay San Francisco <laughs> salaries to everyone in the world, including people in Madrid. So how do you think about recruiting global talent in a world like that? Yeah, I mean, recruitment in general and hiring is, is something actually quite new to me since since I've kind of taken this role. And, and like, we're really proud of the team that we've kind of assembled and, and actually feel really lucky to have like an awesome fully remote team who like work wonderfully well together. And what we've tried to do is, is, is build a team, a remote team that fits our company values and which, which are around, you know, communication going above and beyond attention to detail is a really important one, which is a, actually a hard one to put your finger on, but everyone knows what lack of attention to detail means. So it's, it's the inverse, right? Um, and also we, we adopt this, this kind of philosophy of tacos, which is kind of an insider kind of term where we, we're showing appreciation to, to the team as often as possible, really. Um, and around recruitment, the, there really is no magic formula. We try and hire internally first. So, you know, asking the team, hey, let us know if you know someone amazing that's available, right, that you think would fit fit well with us. And that's not always the case. So so generally we then source candidates through platforms like Upwork or, or something like that. And 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 then we're, we're just, you know, experimenting on how best to source those candidates, how to hire the right people, making sure they're the right fit for us, but even more importantly, make sure we're the right fit for them because we want them to stick around, you know, and and we, we're really keen on, on building the core team before we, we we expand. And that's really that's really key for us to, to achieve. And I think by and large we're doing that. Obviously we can improve and, and, and it doesn't stop there. Once we've hired someone, we try and make the onboarding as best as we can and, and to even improve that process as, as Every time anyone comes into the team, we ask for their feedback. Hey, how can we improve this and, and, and so forth? So that's really, you know, what we're, what we're striving to do. And, and diversity is, is another big one, which I think everyone's kind of struggling with. And, and we're also trying to find ways of, you know, achieve, achieving those goals of, of making sure that the team can be as diverse as possible. And right, right now we're, we're across like three continents. So we want to, I guess, get to get to five <laughs> and also you know have a better gender balance and, and and stuff like that which we we generally believe will will give us uh, a big advantage in terms of you know ideas and execution yeah absolutely absolutely that's what gets you diversity of thought and problem solving so a hundred hundred percent you mentioned onboarding so any sort of common mistakes you recommend like new CTOs to avoid when thinking about onboarding new team members to a team? Yeah, so um, I think the the most important thing is to be welcome, welcoming. So we, we use Slack and, and we welcome everyone on board. We, we give them all the access they need and with instructions. <laughs> so we, we have what we call a, a bootcamp doc that everyone that joins, at least through engineering, goes through that goes through that document and we try and have 
all the documentation they need to, to kind of get started. And more importantly, we partner them up with a buddy and uh, that buddy will make sure that they are, don't get stuck if they got any answer, if they got any questions, sorry, we get quick answers to them. And this is particularly important with different time zones. We're fully remote, so it can feel a bit, you know, anxious to join a new team and especially if you get stuck and, and asking questions. So it's really important to, to try and uh, make that process as smooth as possible. And that goes from, you know, senior developers to junior developers. It's all kind of the, the same. And when you join a team, you got these expectations. So it's really important to try and meet those expectations and, and make that as, as seamless as possible. Um, and I appreciate that as well, because I've you know, I've done that where I've joined, um, <laughs> you know, joined a company and onboarding hasn't been uh, that optimal and you have to figure out stuff and nobody wants to be unproductive for like a week or, or longer. So we try and um, get them in the code, developing, fixing bugs, writing, you know, writing code that gets shipped uh, as early as possible, that kind of stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the reason I ask is because I think you said that you've experienced some non-ideal onboarding experiences. And to me, onboarding is probably the most important inflection point you can sort of provide to someone in the first few months, so. Yes, I agree. And, and I've had friends who, you know, they've joined a team and within a week they've left because they, you know, they just, they weren't, there's no, there was no effort in, in bringing them into the team and, and embedding them in the right culture of that team and i think that's super important it's not always about the work initially it's about getting to understand what their needs are how how they're expected to communicate with the team is really important as well and also as they work it, you know the way we do stuff uh, at bridge won't always uh, tally up what they're used to there'll be new tools all that kind of stuff and that new information so it's really important for us to bring them along into into that into the same uh, rhythm that the rest of the team has as quickly as possible. I, I want to go back to this idea of, of creating the sort of, you, I think you said the ideal environment. So what are some of the cultural principles or operating methodologies that you apply to create that environment? So yeah, so this ties ties down very much to the company values that we have. And, and these company values weren't something that we had from day one. It's something that we've uh, learned or, or even noticed in, in the team and, and said, yes, that's that's what we're looking for. And, and that's what we want to try and adopt. And um, like I said, the environment that we want is that anyone's comfortable in, in talking to anyone. Importantly as well, to, to communicate in the right way, ask the right questions, ask the right person and you know, because we're remote, we want to do as much asynchronous as possible. So what tools to use? So we, we use Loom extensively to help us with that. And in terms of having, making sure that, or enabling other teammates to, to have your back and, and vice versa. And that means that you can build that trust. And that trust uh, really helps then to have everyone on board. You know, there's always going to be conflicts, but as long as you have that in the team, you know you're gonna you're generally gonna get arrive at the right decision, and that you're not gonna get unbalanced in terms of who's you know what work is getting done and and favoritism or anything like that, right? It's kind of a team effort, so that's really important. And going back to attention to detail, I think it's it's about really 
being aware with your work how that impacts other people so from engineering perspective we we have to take what products and design have been working on and then implement that and it's really important that what's given to us has got high quality you know high quality definition of what's required from a visual standpoint and, and also from a logical standpoint so that we can do our best job and then once we've implemented our work we can then communicate that back but also be able to even within the, the engineering team to have code reviews to make sure that we're writing code but also communicating that so we do code walkthroughs via loom and also do like working demos and add documentation because you know for people even people that aren't on the team people that are going to join us at some at some future date it's really important for them to understand what's going on so that attention to detail really makes a huge difference and it's it's kind of probably underrated somewhat so yeah the last one really is is appreciation so you know we really value when people put in that extra mile do amazing work find out why you know why this thing isn't working uh have a like super quick turnaround on on bug fixing whatever it might be uh, and the way we do that we we use a, a slack tool called hey taco which sounds a bit cheesy but uh, it works actually extremely well just to you know it's like it's like giving someone a high five and you know everyone loves uh, high fives and and in in on bridge that's uh, that's actually tacos <laughs> that's actually pretty pretty cool and uh, yes i i sort of I absolutely think that attention to detail is underappreciated. I have no idea why though. I'm I'm curious and how do you think about measuring team performance? Is that something you, you do at this stage or is that something you, you just sort of you're so close to your team that it's you just feel it if that makes sense? <laughs> no, I don't think you can feel it. I I think I think it's definitely something worth measuring. It, it is something where measuring on a ad hoc basis and but it's something that we want to improve on in terms of automating it and it's it's very much to understand our velocity in terms of how well we're doing at a team level not so much at an individual level and that what's really important with with that data and this is why we do it on a ad hoc basis is to identify bottlenecks and i've I recently learned about a technique called value stream mapping which does exactly that and it doesn't have to be engineering any kind of process it tries to see how long things are taking in between each stage and if you think of how engineering work generally you will get a task to work on you'll get assigned that task you will then look at that task you will then estimate that task you'll then work on that task and you know say how long that that is spent and then that doesn't stop there it then gets moved to being code reviewed testing being shipped and and all those so it's got like a, a issue life cycle that it goes through and we have all different types of issues bugs tasks performance issues devops whatever it might be so it's really important to understand where are the bottlenecks so as a given example what we were doing was once once the issue was completed from engineer that would then go into testing and once testing was finished then that would go into code review very sequential and initially that made sense but then once i applied this value stream mapping i could see that there was a bottleneck there in terms of it was taking you know 
up to a day, sometimes two days for that particular issue to get shipped to our staging environment. And what was happening because we are fully remote and there's time zone differences, uh, that passing that issue to the next team to be tested and then passing it back to engineering team to be reviewed was taking too long. So it wasn't the actual testing or, or the reviewing, it was actually the wait time. So what we did is we actually combined both of those processes to happen in parallel. And that saved us automatically uh, a lot of time and ships were just getting uh, done faster. And you could feel that. So this is a, a, as well like something that's not necessarily obvious until you look at the bigger picture and try and map things out. Um, and, and that worked extremely well for us. What's keeping you up at night over the next 12 months or so? I generally sleep pretty well. The things that normally keep me up at night is is if I haven't figured something out, uh, and then you know my my brain's kind of spinning. But generally speaking, I'm I'm not too bad at that. I do have obviously there's always a mix of emotions how things are going. You know, some some days you're struggling, some days you're flying, and yeah, I, I'm just generally really excited about uh, where we're going, and I want to you know uh, with the team achieve that, and I don't really suffer from insomnia so so far so good maybe that will change I, i'm obviously you know very um very aware that as we scale uh, i think there'll be def- definitely different challenges and at that point maybe a few more sleepless nights but uh, so far so far so good what writer or book has had the greatest influence on your career so far and and, and why of course that's a great question. I'm I, I read a lot, but generally it's it's around around you know articles and and I I don't deep like I deep dive into something and then come out of it. Uh, so I don't really have a book in mind that has changed much. There's those kind of obvious books around lean startup and all that kind of stuff, but I don't generally follow a particular book. Uh, or even author, I try and get a, a rounded view and then kind of make my own opinion of what I what I think makes sense. So I don't really have anything uh, in particular in mind, and I generally change my mind about how 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 I approach things as well. And uh, I'm not generally open-minded to changing my mind, if that makes sense. So yeah, don't know if that answers the question particularly well, but that's that's yeah. It doesn't, but it, it doesn't, but it's 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 not important because it opened up something that's more interesting to me, which is this muscle of of being open to changing your your mind. Um, as sort of Mark Andreessen would say, like strong opinions loosely held. How do you think about that? Why do you think that's important? How have you sort of trained that muscle? Because it's it's not easy. Yeah, I. I, I don't know my, myself. I'm not not really ego driven in in a way. I don't, I don't need to have the best opinion in the room. I do have an opinion and a strong opinion normally, but generally I'm open to I'm more open to collaboration. And I think that's what a lot of smart people you know talk a lot about, and rightly so. And I think that's probably where our educational system should start going towards. You know, we're always going to arrive at better solutions by working together. From 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 what I I think anyway, and what I see the end result. So for me, opinions, you know, on you know, they they shouldn't be the the end goal. I think it, it should really be trying to trying to find a, a middle ground or the or the optimum solution and the right decision and doing decision making in in the optimal way as well is is more important to me than having say the right opinion or being proved right or proved wrong. It's 
just the way my my mind works i guess or my or my uh, personality that's the perfect note to end on chico thank you so much for your time this has been a fascinating conversation thanks so much Gons. really enjoyed it hey this is Gons again if you enjoyed this episode of startup conversations please let us know by leaving an honest review If you'd like to hear more conversations like this one or find out more about the collaboration between SeedTable and CircleCI, visit seedtable.com forward slash conversations. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.